Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. When it comes to living their best life and building substantial wealth, many young men's first thoughts turn to developing a new app or starting a popular YouTube channel. They don't think about digging ditches. So that's how my guest today became a millionaire. He thinks more folks should consider seeking not only financial success, but true comfort, peace, and freedom by rejecting today's standardized white-collar career path and looking into alternative routes through the skilled trades. His name is Ken Rusk. He's a construction business entrepreneur who's also been a life coach and mentor to hundreds of his employees, and he's the author of Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. Ken and I begin our conversation with how a guy who got a job digging ditches in high school and skipped college went on to create a multi-million dollar construction business. We then talk about how there aren't enough people pursuing blue collar work and how this skills gap regarding the trades is driving up demand and in turn, the potential income to be made in this field. Ken talks about the cost-benefit analysis of going to college versus learning a skilled trade and the advantages to the latter. He then explains the often underappreciated reward of blue collar work, which he calls the step back moment. From there, Ken shares some stories of folks who found filament pursuing blue collar work, even made the switch later in life. Along the way, Ken shares the life advice he gives employees and job seekers about how to manage their money, set goals, and pursue their own version of happiness and success. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash blue collar cash. All right, Ken Rusk, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you are the author of the book, Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness for Life. And you yourself are also a blue collar construction entrepreneur. Uh, in fact, you've been called the million dollar ditch digger. Well, tell us, let's talk about your story, how you got to where you are. How did you become the million dollar ditch digger? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because when I was 15 in high school, in order to you know, after school, we would go to the local carry out and hang out there for a little while, like a lot of kids did. And in order to get there, I had to cross through a fence that connected my high school with a small industrial park. And I used to walk by this building every day. And this building had a lot of energy coming in and out of it all the time. And one day I decided I knew some people that worked there and I walked in and said, what do you guys do? And and uh, I got hired in. And this this was a company that actually dug ditches around houses to correct wet basements and crawl spaces. And, uh, and so that's what I did. I dug ditches in the summertime and in the wintertime I worked inside in the office. And from there, so you're doing this in high school. When you graduated high school, did you go to college or did you think I'm just going to stick doing what I'm doing right now, digging ditches? You know, it's, it's, it's funny because when, when I was in 10th grade, I remember the teacher saying, you know, raise your hand if you're going to college. And I remember only about a third or a half of the, uh, the guys did that in the school, in the, in the classroom. And I thought, well, that seems pretty balanced, you know, because some kids are going on to a trade or a skill or working in a family business or what have you. I was one of those people who I had some brothers who went to college and I thought, well, that's just what I'm supposed to do. So I tried doing it for uh, just a couple of months. And it just was, as I was approaching going to school, I knew it wasn't for me. And as I went into the classroom, I thought, you know, this just isn't for me. I, I liked making money. I liked working with my hands. I liked being outside. And so, yeah, I, I stuck with ditch digging. <laughs> well, yeah, you had a conversation with your dad where you had this opportunity where your boss, I think he wanted you to hit the road to help build some franchises for the business. And you were saying like, I can do this or I can stay in school. And your dad was like, sounds like you know what you want to do. <laughs> so go do what you want to do. Well, you know, if you think about it, you know, I had some skills from working in the office and I was just dangerous enough to send to a new place to help them open. And here I am, a young kid, and I'm going out and I'm, I'm, I'm building out 
office buildings where we were going to put these these franchises and hiring people and you know pulling permits and and doing all those kinds of things and i just i just thought to myself you know what a better education than to go learn how to open a company or something on on someone else's dime if you will so yeah, I, I took all the skills that I learned from, you know, doing the actual work, the jackhammers and the dump trucks and the shovels, and I kind of put it to good use. So you're doing this, you're working for someone else, you're traveling a country, helping opening these franchises, these offices. At what point did you springboard on your own? Well, I, I you know, since I was younger, I always kind of wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And I think that was the important thing for me. At some point, you know, if you're if you're living out of a suitcase for three or four years, that gets pretty old pretty quickly. And so I I remember I came home and and talked to my wife and we had an opportunity to move out to Toledo, Ohio, which is a couple hours away from where we had grew up. And yeah, we took it. We just, we we jumped on it. We, uh, We got a small loan and we came out here and we opened the company up in 1986 and we've been doing it ever since. And is your company you're you're still digging ditches? Is that what your company is it a contracting company? What do you guys do? Yeah, it's it's um you know, we started with like six employees and now there's and there's nearly two hundred of us. And um we, we that's what we do. We uh we, we we waterproof foundations and basements and we jackhammer up floors and we dig a lot of ditches and uh you know that that opportunity has helped to kind of springboard some other construction things that I'm involved in and some investments and things and and so it's it's been a pretty good ride so far. So the book's about, you're making the case for blue collar work. And you start off the book talking about how in America, we're having this crisis with the workforce, particularly there's a skills gap. What is the skills gap? And kind of walk us through like what, what's, what effect is it having on the economy? Well, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, when I was in high school, there was shop class and you could learn welding and plumbing and carpentry and electrical, and you could learn car mechanics and home economics and all those kinds of things. At some point, Somebody decided, well, let's let's take let's get rid of all the lathes and all the equipment and all the tools, and let's put computers in those rooms. Now, obviously, we had to learn how to use computers. That's that's a given. But I never really thought it was a binary choice, one or the other. I mean, why couldn't we have both, right? So, it, it that started a process where millions of kids just didn't discover by accident what you know, how cool it is to build something or to create something or to weld something or to bake something or to fix something. And if, if you put that scenario on top of the fact that, you know, now these kids are growing up, unfortunately, with just cell phones and games in their hand and, you know, iPads and that kind of thing, we don't have a lot of discovery of, of blue collar work where you're working with your hands. And, you know, the, the perfect storm of those two confluences, along with we're funneling everybody into college, we're really creating this giant gap of people willing to work with their hands. And, and it's creating a huge supply and demand issue. And as you know, anywhere supply is low and demand is high, that's right where the money goes. Um, do we have any idea, like the numbers of like how many jobs are going unfulfilled because people can't find qualified candidates? Well, I'll just put it to you this way. For every five electricians whose average age right now is in the mid-50s, for every five electricians who are retiring, there's only one coming online. So you can figure out real quick what's going to happen there if that continues. There are millions of jobs that could be filled 
that are going unfilled. And now people are waiting, you know, weeks and months just to get a plumber out to their house or to get a finished carpenter out or a stonemason, like in my case. Well, that's an interesting point. So another factor contributing to the, the crisis is that you have a lot of people who are in the trades right now, they're about to retire um, and there's no one there to replace them. So there's going to be even more of a, of a skills gap. Yeah. A, a quick, quick example. I had a stone kitchen built in my, in, on my back deck a few years ago. And here's a guy who he's, he's a great, a great businessman. He, he rolls up in my driveway in his brand new pickup truck. He jumps out with his coffee in his hand, his t-shirt and his jeans and his boots. And his guys follow him in the dump truck. And they get out and they open the doors and they crank up the Led Zeppelin and they spend the day building these these beautiful outdoor kitchens. I mean, that's what they do. It's it's artwork. And do you know that guy wants to retire now and he has nobody to leave his company to? And, and here's a guy who is making well over six figures um, doing what he loves to do. Uh, just imagine if you could find a young person who could shadow him for a few years and then take that over, he would have an instant success. All right. So as you said, there's this gap here, but there's a, there's a high demand, but little supply. So that means there's an opportunity for people if they want it. Well, I've always said, you know, you should be a contrarian thinker. If, if everybody's going in this direction, perhaps you should go in the opposite direction because there's going to be a supply problem there. And, you know, as most, as most contrarian thinkers do, they're looking for lucrative opportunities to appear on that side, which in the blue collar world, they definitely do. Do you have any idea? So you mentioned the stonemason guys, he's high in demand, has no one to you know, sell his business to so he can retire. Any other industries or trades where you've seen there's a high demand for because there's just simply not enough workers or skilled workers for it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, welding is one, finished carpentry is one. You can talk about energy, whether it's alternative energy or it's new or traditional forms of energy. There, there's all kinds of, of, you know, you're talking about transportation, you're talking about medical, you know, there, there's a lot of places that are looking for a, a lot of people and can't find them right now. And, you know, this goes to my next question or this next point you make in the book is that, you know, in America, we've been, you know, for the, I'd say for the past 50 years, been told if you want a stable career that's lucrative, that will provide you a good living, you have to go to college. But you're making this point, okay, actually in the trades, there's a high demand, but low supply. So you can actually make decent money. And so I think a lot of people don't go into the trades or they, or they sort of snub their nose at blue collar work thinking, well, you really don't make that much money. What are, I mean, give us kind of ideas, numbers that people could make in different trades or blue collar work that they could make right after finishing trade school. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're a good finished carpenter, you can make $50 an hour. In, in welding, you can make $48 an hour. If you're a plumber, you can make in the 40s as well. And, you know, God forbid that you do that for yourself. And then perhaps if you're any good at what you do, which again, in, in this day and age, as long as you show up, shake someone's hand, look them straight in the eye, be on time and do reasonably good work, you're going to be popular, right? So God forbid your business grows and now you have other people that you have to hire on to help with you. And now you're, they're working with, with and for you and you're charging those rates. You, you could see how a contractor can easily make six figures. There are some areas in the country where they're hiring plumbers right out of uh, their tech school at, at 90,000 a year in, in places like Atlanta. So, you know, 
if this continues, you're going to have blue collar workers making as much or more than family doctors, because that's what we're seeing now. That's amazing. Okay. So you're this contrarian guy, you're telling people to go, you know, zig instead of zag. And, and you make these points going back to college. You know, we've been told this idea, you got to go to college. That's what I was told. I went to college, but you make this point that yes, if you get a college degree, you can earn good money, but getting that college degree, I mean, the amount of debt you have to take on to get that that piece of paper can set you back. And you don't really have that issue as much with a skilled laborer or a blue collar job. Well, well, first off, you know, just so you know, I, I've never seen a Finnish carpenter not have any work to do in, in a good economy or a bad economy. I mean, they're, they're just that much in demand because like I said, there's so little people getting into that field. But, you know, if you look at it this way, let's assume that you pay a typical room and board forty to fifty thousand dollars a year to go to school and you do that for four years. I mean, that's about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, okay? up up to two hundred in some cases. now now let's say that you're someone who says, I'm going to forgo that and I'm going to get a job working with my hands and I'm going to get one of these jobs that pays me twenty five, thirty, forty dollars an hour. Now I'm making fifty thousand a year while I'm learning this skill. That's two hundred thousand over four years. Now you have a net asset change of negative two hundred thousand to positive two hundred thousand, or a four hundred thousand dollar swing. People really need to consider that when they think about you know putting assets together and starting their life down the road to what they want to build for themselves. Uh, so okay, that's something to think about. Sort of that, and you you do this really great sort of cost benefit analysis between college and going into a, a skilled a skilled trade where you, you take into account, okay, how much debt you're going to have to get. And then also, are you able even to be able to get a job in your degree after you graduate from college that will pay you enough where you can, you know, not only pay off your college debt, but put a little aside for a home and a car and those nice things that we all work for? Well, you know, if, if you look at the current situation the way it is right now, let's take the opposite effect. If there's a huge demand for blue collar workers and low supply, then that might be because everyone is being funneled through college. So it only stands to reason that on the opposite side of that scale, there's an oversupply of college graduates with lessening demand. So now these college kids are coming out of school and they're hoping to find these jobs that pay them 70, 80, 90,000 a year. And yet the average last year was just under 50,000 with a four-year degree. And now you're saddled with all that debt you might be in your mid thirties before you start building wealth, if you have to pay all that off. Right, but then if you add, a, if you can be, you know, young man, twenty two, right out of trade school, and you know, saving up for a down payment on a house. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of times when when you know some of the people that I coach, one of the things that I'll tell them is, okay, you know, you just were offered a job at let's say forty five thousand. I want you to say, thank you for paying me 42000 And they say, well, what do you mean by that? And, and my point is, let's take the first 3000 that you're offered and let's just put that right, out, right away into a 401k or some type of an investment account. Because in 15 minutes, you can build yourself into millionaire status by the time you retire. It, it goes like this. If I put $60 a week, which is 3000 a year, if I put that into a 401k, and I put it in, a, in like a growth mode type of basket, if you will. 
I can save that money for 10 years and then stop saving the money on the, on the 11th year. And by the time I retire, I'm going to have over a million dollars in my retirement account. So imagine being 21 years of age and saying, wow, my retirement is handled now. And then, and then starting to do the other things you want, like you said, save for a house, save for a car, whatever that might be. My theory is you don't miss the money that you never had. So you can't spend what you never had. So if you live your life on 42,000 instead of the 45, that first three goes away and your retirement's covered. So not only college is expensive, you gotta take out an enormous amount of student loans, but also you gotta, you gotta take out four years of your life. Let's compare that to like trade school. How much av- on average would someone pay to go to trade school and how long does it take to get certified and you know, becoming a plumber or electrician or whatever? Trade schools are typically a year to three years maximum with most of them 18 months to two years. And they cost about ten to twelve, thirteen thousand dollars a year, depending on where you're at. Gotcha. So you you can see the cost benefit right there, right out of the bat. And again, you can work right away and start earning money, which is which is really kind of cool. Let's talk about some of the you talk about some of the social pressures that keep people away from blue collar work. And, you know, one thing that people are told is, well, you know, don't go into the trades because it's just not as meaningful. Um, office work is where I don't, I don't know, office white collar work, you know, becoming an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer, there's more meaning to that. What's your response when people say that yeah, there's no, there's no meaning in ditch digging? Well, there's uh, first off, there, there, there's two things. When you, when you talk about ditch digging, you're talking about drying up a wet, damp, smelly basement. Okay. That causes mold and mildew and all types of airborne allergens to float throughout the house. So I can show you letter upon letter upon letter where our customers over the years have written us and said, my son suffered from asthma. He had to take all these pills. He had to be on an on a inhaler at night. And now he no longer has to do that. You know, my, my grandmother had all kinds of arthritis. Now that the dampness is gone, she can move around the house and doesn't have any breathing problems. So there, there is there is a silver lining in every type of work that you do. What I like to call it is that step back moment. If you're someone who is, let's say, building that outdoor kitchen, for example, you know, you're putting the stones up, you're doing your thing, you're making this thing beautiful, you're creating this work of art, and you get to step back at the end of the day and lean on your shovel and maybe sip on your pop or whatever and say, I did that, I built that. That will stand the test of time. It's a beautiful thing to see. And, and again, it's, it's, it's my creation. So there is, there is a heck of a lot of meaning inside of blue-collar work because you get to see the beginning to the end where if you're, if you're in an office job, and I'm not saying they're not important or rewarding, but a lot of times you never get to see the beginning all the way to the end of what you're, what you're involved in. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. And now back to the show. And it sounds like with blue collar work, like every job is going to be different. You have to be creative and be flexible. And because every situation, if you're, say, you're being a carpenter, right, you got to work with what you got and you have, you have to work with a budget. And then that gives you chances to, to be creative and, and do, do fun stuff and like use your brain in a way that's really satisfying. Well, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about comfort, peace, and freedom. And those are three words that I think everyone should aspire to when it comes to what they want their life to look like. And that's, that's really a lot of what the book is focused on is how can you think better? How can you plan your life in a really concrete, mechanical, absolute, guaranteed way? Not just, 
you know, some theory or some, you know, maybe or someday, but an actual today plan. Because the more you're able to plan your life, the more you're able to say to yourself, you know, maybe it doesn't matter so much how fancy what I do for a living is. What's more important is what I do with what I do for a living. Um, how do I create my own base? How do I create my own future, my own wealth going forward? And I think that's a really important thing that people need to think about. Yeah, that was a big thing throughout your book is that you want people to actually figure out what they want and enjoy in life or what they want to, because you spend most of your life working. So if you're going to do that, you want to might as well spend most of your time doing something you actually enjoy and not doing something you think you should be doing because your parents or friends or what society kind of pressures you saying that you should do that? You know, it's really easy for everyone to look at the television or watch a music video and think, wow, you know, my life would be perfect if I had a mega yacht and six cars and a mansion and all those other kinds of things. But I got to tell you, I do know some successful people who are miserable, okay, because they don't have control over their lives. And that's why I think it's very important. I talk about it in the book specifically to to, to get what you think would make your best life down in front of you on a piece of paper, draw it out, be very crystal clear, you know, work on it for a couple of weeks, just like you'd work on a puzzle at your kitchen table and really put that thing together and then keep it in front of you because only 1% of the people that w- when we talk about goals are willing to write it down and keep it in front of them. The the interesting thing is that same 1% earns eight times more money to nine times more money than the people that don't have goals. So it's such an easy thing to do. I'm shocked that they don't teach this in high school. And, you know, it, it's in, in just just a few short days, you could be well on your way to the path that you think would go, wow, that would be one of my best lived lives. So you obviously are a great example of how a blue collar job can lead to uh, meaningful, well-paying work. And what's interesting too, a lot of people think that if they go in a blue a blue collar work, that they're just going to be working with their hands, and there's no, you, know, you don't have to, any higher level thinking. But okay, as we said, skilled labor requires higher level thinking, requires to be creative and think outside of the box. But then also in the process, you've got to learn about developing a business like on the fly instead of having to go to you know get your MBA. You just you learned how to do this stuff on your own because you had to learn it to grow and um, keep your business going. Well, you know, I, I've always said if you do great work and and like I said, you're on time and 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 you have a great reputation, the money will take care of itself. But what's great about living in in these days, these economic times, the way we have them, and with the technology, you can run a whole business from your cell phone and your pickup truck. I mean, <laughs> it's. It's insane how easy it is. You can do payroll, you can do accounts receivable, accounts payable, you can order your inventory, you can do all of these things sitting behind your steering wheel. And that's that was a barrier to entry for a lot of people in 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 you know recent days because I gotta have an accountant, I gotta have uh, you know a payroll clerk, and uh, I mean I have to have all these people to do all this stuff. Well, you know that stuff is kind of gone now, so. It has never been easier to open your own company. I, I encourage anyone who who has a passion for doing something with their hands to go out there and try it. You know, shadow somebody, learn from somebody. You know, get that four thousand hour thing down where you master it, like they they talk about in the book, The Outliers, and then go out and try your own thing. I mean, it's never been a better time to do so. Well, in the book, you you highlight people you've worked with throughout your career who have started blue collar careers. 
lot of great stories. Is there one in particular you could share with us that you thought was really uh, impactful? Yeah, I, I have uh, a gentleman, his name is Mark, and he went through some really traumatic times with his his parents passed away in, in a horrific crime early on when he was only 17. And he kind of drifted around wondering what to do. And he went to work for a box company where they would pack things up and, and, and ship them out. And he knew he had to go to school, but he really didn't know how to do that. And he decided he wanted to be a lawyer because he had dealt with the lawyers from his parents' wills and whatnot. And so he just went to a law school in town and said, you know, I want to sign up. And they said, well, okay, where did you do your undergrad? And he goes, undergrad? He goes, I went to high school out in, in, in Oak Harbor. And he says, uh, well, no, where did you go to college? He goes, well, this is college. I'm here to sign up for law school. So he didn't even realize that he needed to have a degree before he went to law school. <laughs> Since then, he uh, he went back to the box company and he just kept looking at around and figuring out ways to do things better, quicker, faster, and what have you. And he kept rising up within the company. Well, at some point, he was controlling with his own company. More than 300 trucks a day, ships, airplanes, trains, shipping things all over the world. He had a very successful career and um, it was all because, you know, he decided to uh, figure out how to build a better box. And didn't he, he sold the business and kind of enjoyed retirement for a bit and then he got back into the game again? Well, first off, thank you for reading the book because that's exactly right. He's the, he's the epitome of the American dream because not only did he sell the business, you know, he went out and rode his Harley for a while and then he drove his boat around and he went fishing and snow skiing and did all of those things. And then he said, you know what? I- I'm still in the game. So he went out and started another company and that company is as big or bigger than his original one. So he's um, he's quite the guy. But there, there again, this is the point that I want to make to everybody. You know, the difference between an op- entrepreneur and and anyone who might be listening out there right now is just your ability to see what you want your future to look like. It's real simple, it's not complicated. And and, and once you get that vision clear in your mind, all the characteristics that entrepreneurs have, persistence, resilience, you know, integrity, all those characteristics that we talk about in the book, they show up in almost every human being. I mean, it's like they're in your closet behind your shoes that you haven't worn in a while. And you just gotta get them out. This is a very important point because once you see what you want your life to look like, it's pretty much get out of my way. I'm, I'm going after it. So you mentioned earlier some ideas for people if they want to get into blue collar work, you know, shadow somebody, if you see something you're interested in, do it, uh, go to a trade school. And this seems like if you're like a young man just starting out, pretty easy because you don't have any, you don't have a lot of uh, responsibility, a lot of people not depending on, you might not have a lot of bills. But let's say you're an older guy, you've been in a career 10, 15, 20 years you're not happy with it. You're just miserable. And you 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 often find yourself wistfully thinking, man, if I can just go dig ditches, that would be it. Like, f- have you worked with people who've made a career change from say like a white collar profession to a blue collar profession? And if so, like what, what do they do to make that transition successful? You know, here's another case where technology makes that easier than it's ever been. There are a group of woodworkers in the United States. They call themselves part of a woodpreneur group, like entrepreneurs with wood. And in most cases, in a lot of cases, you'll see that they had jobs and the wood part was like their hobby on the weekends. So they kept at it. 
and they they did their craft and they enjoyed doing what they were doing. And in a lot of cases, they would build this beautiful furniture. And then they simply went on the internet and they got an Instagram page or whatever, Facebook page or whatever they do. And they started putting their products on that uh, on the net. And it became what is now popularly called a side hustle. And so they slowly converted themselves from their day job, their office job, to this business. And just about anybody can do that in any kind of product. You know, I I knew a gal who was a full-time waitress, and she's in the book as well. And she always would wait on this gentleman who wanted to bake bread. And she would sell his bread on the weekends at golf courses and home improvement shows and anywhere people would gather. And pretty soon she sold enough bread to where she got a little space and started baking her own bread. And then he retired. And then now she has this huge bakery, which is just down the street from my house. And she's delivering two to 3000 loaves of bread a week. I mean, it's crazy how you know, something that you can start on the side can really turn into something. And the reason I say it happens is because if it's driving you that, if, if you see it, the laws of attraction will take you there. That's what your brain does. And uh, it's just awesome to see how that works. Yeah, what I love about all the stories that you highlight in the book is how it just, it didn't happen. It wasn't like, it hap- didn't happen overnight. It just sort of happened. They just took one step. They did, they did the next best thing, basically. And it eventually got them to where they were. Like you talk about the guy who started off, like now he designs golf courses around the world. But that way that started was like, he just answered a, like a landscaping job thing. And it, it sort of snowballed into him becoming a golf course designer. Art Hills is one of the most famous golf course designers in the world. I know him very well. I've played golf with him. He actually belongs to the same club that we do. He, he's a legend in golf course design. And the funny thing about his story is he, he, he was a landscaper and he was hanging around doing landscaping and, and, and making a good living. He was doing really well. Again, good work, quality work on time, you know, honest and ethical and all that. And at, at one point he decided, you know what, I don't want to snow plow in the wintertime. I don't want to go invest the money in plows. They always break down. You have to work at night. I just don't want to do that. So he, he, he talked to his, his workers and he said, what should we do in the wintertime? And they got the idea that they wanted to design golf courses. So he literally put a $17 ad in the newspaper that said golf course designer for hire. And he got his very first job. And now I think he's up to nearly 300 golf courses you know, a large portion of the, well, I shouldn't say a large, but probably 40 or 50 of them I've played on. And it's just the most amazing story. And it was so much fun to write this book because the more I interviewed people, the more I got these just awesome stories. And, you know, I could have put 50 people in this book and, you know, I had to will it down to where it is, but uh, it's been, it's been a great experience to hear some of these, uh, some of these really good stories. That's funny. Like that, the the golf course thing, that that started off as a side hustle basically. And then, and then it turned, it morphed into what he does for a living. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, And have you seen that sort of same thing in your career? So you started off digging ditches, trying to, you know, fix people with these swampy basements, but you said since then you've added on to what you do in your business. Like, how did you figure out like where there was opportunity that was sort of like, cause you couldn't do go like, you couldn't go off the wall. Like you had to be like the things you did had to be adjacent to what you currently do. 
So how did you figure that out? Just talking to clients and seeing what they needed? Yeah, you know, I I had an opportunity to help two other guys start a very small housing development out in Branson, Missouri. And, uh, you know, I, I was looking to invest in some other things. I like building things. I've, I've built two of my own houses now. I've built three or four office buildings that my company's been in and we're about ready to build another one. And uh, I always like to be around the construction part of that. So when this opportunity came up, I said, well, I'll, I'll help you invest in this. It's only 27 lots. It wasn't a very big development, but it was more of a resort kind of thing on a lake. And I, I really got into you know, building these houses and designing the houses and, and, and making them look really cool and landscaping them because I did a lot, a lot of landscaping as a kid as well. So it was fun to do all those things. And, you know, now I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have been able to be successful. And so now I invest in other type of construction things. We do fire retardant chemicals now and some other things. And it, it's just been a really good, like you said, a natural progression to go to that next step and to, uh, to, to open up some of these other companies. So we've talked a lot about the pros of blue collar work. You can make good money. It's cheaper than college. You know, there's a high demand for it. You can, there's a lot of flexibility. You can be your own boss. What's been the hardest part that you found like sort of the, the trouble spots with your career in, in, in the trades and the blue collar work? Well, I, I think in this, this is what out of necessity, what brought on some of the, the coaching that I do. I think to to get other people to believe that this is a really honorable path, and you know there there isn't a stigma to it. You know, I, I remember being at a party, and you know the moms were all talking about how proud they were of their kids and where they were going to school and their the degrees they were going to get. And I remember one of them saying, "Oh yeah, well I don't know whether it was her son or somebody else, but he's just going to be a plumber." Okay, just going to be a plumber. Well. Just going to be a plumber means that that guy now has 10 employees, four vans, and he's making an absolute killing. So it, it's, it's a stigma that is undeserved, and sometimes it's almost a default stigma that is put on this work, which is totally undeserved, okay? So for me, I, I had to build a, a culture in my company that was so cool that people wanted to work there, and uh, that's where the coaching came in. I, I don't have any absolute professional training and coaching, I became uh, almost an unwilling or I should say involuntary life coach. I love doing it, but talking to these people about the, the past that they can take and how much control they can have over their own lives and their own financial futures is, is really something I enjoy doing. But it, you know, it's, it's hard to convince people to come that way sometimes. Right. There's another example of your natural, this sort of the iteration of your career. <laughs> you went from digging ditches to now you're, you're coaching people to help, yeah. <laughs> help them dig ditches. <laughs> That's true. Well, well Ken, uh, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? You know, um, it, it's, it's great that you, that you asked that question. I, I have a Facebook page called Ken Rusk Official where we talk a lot about the content of what we're doing with, with uh, celebrating the blue collar worker. But the most and best feedback I've gotten for the book so far, which is amazing, is if you're a, a business owner and you want to build a team of really awesome entrepreneurial employees who are loyal and stick around, that's a good place. Um, you buy the book and then give it to them. If you're a parent, grandparent, aunt or uncle, and you have somebody that you want to kind of mentor, you should give them this book and read it yourself and give it to them and then share. I've had a lot of that going on, which has been great feedback. Or if you just feel like you're in your mid, like you said, in your midlife and you're kind of stuck and you're not hitting your goals, 
this would be a great book for you to have. And you can get it at bluecollarcash.com, but you can also get it at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Indie Books, and Apple Books, anywhere that um, books are sold. Fantastic. Well, Ken Russ, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks to you. My guest today was Ken Rusk. He's the author of the book, Blue Collar Cash. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, kenrusk.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash bluecollarcash, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who would think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action. <laughs> <laughs>